welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 2nd of January 2011, entitled, A Time to Move On, and the Bible reading is taken from Deuteronomy, chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word, beginning in Deuteronomy chapter 2 and verse 1. Then we turned and took our journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea, as the Lord spake unto me, and we compassed Mount Seir many days. The Lord spake unto me, saying, Ye have compassed this mountain long enough. Turn ye northward. And command thou the people, saying, Ye are to pass through the coast of your brethren, the children of Esau, which dwell in Seir, and they shall be afraid of you. Take ye good heed unto yourselves, therefore. Meddle not with them, for I will not give you of their land, no, not so much as a footbreadth, because I have given Mount Seir unto Esau for a possession. You shall buy meat of them for money that you may eat. You shall also buy water of them for money that you may drink. But the Lord thy God hath blessed thee in all the works of thy hand. He knoweth thy walking through this great wilderness, these forty years the Lord thy God hath been with thee, thou hast lacked nothing. Father, we thank you again this evening. Father, over these next moments, we do pray, Lord, that Lord, you would bless this time, that you would use thy servant. Father, particularly this evening, as physically we're not feeling well, we just pray, Lord, that you would undertake. Father, that you would take this time, that you would uh, give these that are here faithful this evening. Uh, Lord, the, uh, something from your word that would be a, a strength and a, a, a benefit to them, Lord, that they might be able to leave here encouraged and challenged and, Lord, built up in the faith. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, on this, the first Lord's Day of the new year, 2011, I want to try to give you a thought this evening for the coming year. So we both look back at what God has done and look to what God still has to do. A simple thought this evening, a time to move on. You know, most of our lives, there comes a point when there is a time to move on from where we are. We find that as we look into the scriptures here, you want to Look back and work it out. You'll find that this is, of course, the nation of Israel about 1,451 years approximately before the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that it's the month of February here, and his people are on the east bank of the Jordan River. At this point, they're ready to enter over into the promised land that's been promised to them. Now, they just spent 38 years traveling what should have been about an 11-day journey from Kadesh Barnea to here on the banks of the Jordan where they are. Two years before that, a total of 40 years that they've been traveling. Physically, undoubtedly, there's no question that they, they're ready. <laughs> they are ready to go into this promised land that's been promised to them. But they need to be spiritually ready as well. That's the same in many of the journeys that we're going to make this year before us. 
We may be physically ready in some points, but we need to be spiritually ready to go where God wants to take us. Moses is preaching a sermon to the nation of Israel here. Probably, you could probably say it's one of the most important, if not the most important sermon that he's ever preached to them. The people have got to be ready to occupy the land where God is taking them to or everything up to this point is just wasted. It's all been for nothing. What you find here in the book of Deuteronomy, I don't know if you've ever really looked at it that closely, but it's, it's basically four back-to-back -back sermons from Moses. You find, first of all, picking up in chapter 1 and verse 6, down through chapter 4 and verse 43, you find the first sermon that he preaches. And it's really a, a view of Israel's wanderings in retrospect as they traveled from Sinai to Kadesh Barnea, from Kadesh to Moab, and finally on the plains of Moab here on the banks of the Jordan. It's a view of that journey. Second, and the longest, and you just thought that I could get long-winded sometimes. You start reading in chapter 4, verse 40, 44, and read right through to chapter 26, verse 19. That's a pretty long sermon. But that's the second sermon that's recorded here. And what this sermon is really doing is focusing upon reminding the people First of all, of God's law, just reminding them of God's law, but then looking at the requirements of that law and specifically their obedience to God's law. And that's what that long sermon deals with right the way through. Then you have a third sermon that picks up in chapter 27, 27, 28, 29, 30. And as we look there, it's really a sermon that is a renewal. We talked about some of God's covenants this morning, particularly focusing on the new covenant, the covenant of grace. Well, this here was a renewal of God's covenants and the application of the law when they entered into the promised land. Then a fourth sermon in chapter 31, verse 1, through chapter 33, and that's really Moses' final charge to the people in a very, very personal way it's what he's really doing there is preparing them for his death and for new leadership to come on the scene. Then finally, in chapter 34, we have the record, the recording of the death of Moses. And so Deuteronomy is an interesting book. And it's basically, like I said, it's, it's, it's four sermons that you can just read right through that God was using Moses to deliver. These verses that we've just read here in chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, well, they're just a, a small portion of this, of this first sermon, if you would, as the Lord is telling them that, in a nutshell, they've been here long enough, and now it's time for them to move on. Now, I want you to notice some things here. The first of all, as he delivers this to them, note that their attention is arrested. God sometimes just needs to get our attention. We can get so focused on so many things that God can be trying to show us something. God can be trying to say something to us. Do you 
I know that probably none of you other husbands ever get accused of it, but my wife sometimes uh, accuses me of, uh, you know, hearing what I want to hear and not hearing what I don't want to. Um, and, and the truth is sometimes if you ever had somebody talking to you and suddenly you realized that they were talking to you and you had no earthly idea what they'd been saying because your mind had been off somewhere else on something else. Sometimes, sometimes God is speaking to us and God is trying to show us things. And of course, how does God speak to us? Well, first and foremost, he speaks to us through his word. And of course, He'll do that maybe in your own personal time of reading. He may do it through the preaching of his word or the teaching of his word. But we've got his word that he'll give to us. Find here, I want you to notice, just turn back a page in your Bible to uh, chapter 1. And notice in verse 6, and it says there, The Lord our God spake unto us in Horeb, saying, Ye have dwelt long enough, in this mount. This was a Mount Sinai in Horeb. And basically, God had to get their message. First of all, the first thing they needed to realize is that, hey, you've been here long enough. We need to look at something else. Notice here in chapter 2 at Kadesh, notice what he says there in the first part of verse 3, ye have compassed this mountain long enough. Truth is, is that this mountain was not, it was not for them. He explains that. Matter of fact, he tells me in verse, uh, verse 5 that not so much as a footbreadth of it is going to be theirs. Now, I mean, that's basically the footbreadth. You can't put your foot. There's nothing you can put your foot on that's going to belong to you, not even that much. This mountain is not yours. You're here, but this is not what I've promised you. There's something else awaiting you. This is not your final destination. At this point, you're just passing through. We find that uh, in some senses, this whole world, we're just passing through. We know that we have a destiny one day with the Lord in glory. But what I want you to really realize and think on as we enter another year here, they weren't in glory yet. And I don't believe the promised land that they were entering into, I know that some say that that is symbolic of heaven itself. I really don't like that typology. I don't believe that the promised land there was heaven because there were giants and there were obstacles and there were all kinds of things in the promised land. Folks, that's not a picture of heaven. But I believe that God has a place for each and every one of us here in this life, in this world, and there will be some obstacles but that's the place where the milk and the honey is going to flow. That's the place where we're going to know the blessings of the Lord, the place where God wants us to be. They've been wandering for 40 years. But God's saying, okay, this is not your destination. This is not where I want you to be. You see, here at Bethel today, in our church, you know, one of the greatest blessings that you can thank God for from now through eternity is just the fact that you're saved, praise God. You know that you're born again. You know that you're going to heaven one day. Simple truth is, is that some people want to be as miserable as they can while they're getting there. We don't have to be miserable. But many people never get beyond that. 
Many people are satisfied with just knowing that they're saved, knowing that they've got their fire insurance paid up, knowing that one day the Lord is going to come back. But just as with the nation of Israel right here, I don't believe that God wants us just to get messed up with where we are when he's got something for us to do and somewhere for us to be. We can look around us. You know, I, I thank God for our church. It's great to be here, and it's great to have our brothers and sisters in Christ and so many of the wonderful blessings that he's got for us. But folks, where we are today is not our destination. I believe with all my heart, God still has more for us. God still has more people to be saved. God still has a work to be accomplished. I know without a shadow of a doubt because the trumpet hasn't sounded yet. Now, when the trumpet sounds, we can forget about anything else needing to be done down here, but there's still work to be done. There's still something to be accomplished or Jesus would come for us right now. So while we've got time here, maybe the Lord just needs to get our attention, shake us a little bit and say, listen, you've come past this mountain long enough. You've been stuck in this rut long enough. You're where you are right now. You've been there long enough. It's time to move on. It's time to go where I want to take you. It's time to let me do something with your life. He had to get their attention. But you know, as soon as he got their attention, as soon as he spoke to them, Brother Steve, we see a second thing here. There was a new direction that is demanded of them. First, their attention is arrested. But second, a new direction is demanded. You see, back in chapter 1, verse 7, there at Mount Sinai, he said, Turn you and take your journey and go to the mount of the Amorites and unto all the places nigh thereunto in the plain, in the hills, and in the vale, and in the south, and by the seaside, and to the land of the Canaanites, and unto Lebanon, unto the great river, the river Euphrates. He's giving them specific directions. He first said, Hey, you've been here long enough. But God doesn't just tell us that it's time to move on without telling us where to go, without giving us directions. We find the same thing here in chapter 3, or I'm sorry, in chapter 2, verse 3. Here at Kadesh Barnea, he says to them in verse 3, you have come past this mountain long enough. Turn you northward. You've been here long enough. Now you need to turn to the north. You see, the promised land was before them. They needed to set their faces upon the promise of what God had promised them and where God was taking them to. Have any of you ever read Pilgrim's Progress? A great allegory. If you haven't read it, you ought to read it. And again, it's one of those things that, of course, John Bunyan wrote it. Even the great prince of preachers, Charles H. Spurgeon, he said he used to read that book at least once a year, every year. Tremendous, tremendous story. Well, there's one character in Pilgrim's Progress, and it's a man that's got a muckrake. You know what a muckrake is for? It's for raking the muck of this earth, the waste, the nothingness. But what happened to the guy with the muckrake in the story? He had been so bent over, so focused on the muck for so long that he'd grown stiff that way. <laughs> he was completely stiff-necked because 
of looking at the muck of this earth for so long. We find that it's easy sometimes. When we get to looking, and, and pardon me, folks, most everything that you look at in this world is muck. <laughs> most of it is just worthless waste. Most of it will accomplish absolute nothing. We find that it's those things that are going to accomplish nothing in eternity that so many times gets the greatest focus of our attention, though. We're so busy raking those things and paying attention to those things that we can get literally stiff-necked to where we don't even see the things of God anymore. We find that here, God's chosen people, God said, listen, you've been here long enough. It's time to move on. This is not your destination. I've got somewhere that I want to take you. And this is where I want you to go. You know, the Lord gives us instructions, each and every one of us here today. And we might look around and, you know, you've heard the expression, sometimes you, you feel like you're singing to the choir. <laughs> you know, all the, the time, and I'm not asking for pity, but all the, the time and the effort that goes into trying to study and prepare and put these thoughts together. And then, you know, there's so many of the people that could be here tonight that are not here. But, you know, they'll never hear it. They're not here. God knew who would be here tonight. God knew each and every one of us before he laid this message upon my heart. So there's no need in worrying about thinking about, boy, oh, so-and-so needs to hear that, and it'd be great for so-and-so to, to hear that. God obviously wanted us to hear it tonight. Truth is, he can deal with the others in whatever way he sees, sees fit and however way he can. But this evening, maybe, maybe God's saying, hey, pay attention. You've been here long enough now. This is not your destination. I want to take your life somewhere. I've got somewhere to take you, and I will lead you. I will take you every step of the way. You see, they had to look up and expect God to fulfill his promise. God had promised them a land of their own. God had promised them Canaan would be theirs. The truth is, they had to expect God to fulfill that promise. Instead of looking at the muck of the earth, we need to look to the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to look for the crown of glory. We find that here, first of all, their attention is arrested and a new direction is demanded. Okay, you've been here long enough. Now, I want to take you over there. This is where I want you to go. But notice what God does next with them. Their distractions are described. Do you believe that when God gives you a direction to go with your life, Believe me, there's going to be some distractions. <laughs> there's going to be some distractions to try to get you off course, to try to get your attention on something else. Now, if we look back here at, at Mount Sinai in chapter 1, we find that there were some discouragements. Look in chapter 1 down at verses uh, 22 to 25. And you came near unto me, every one of you, and said, We will send men before us, and they shall search us out the land and bring us word again 
by what way we must go up and into what cities we shall come. The saying pleased me well, and I took 12 men of you, one of a tribe. They turned and went up into the mountain and came into the valley of Eshcol and searched it out. They took of the fruit of the land in their hands, brought it down unto us, and brought us word again and said, It is a good land which the Lord our God doth give us. God had showed them. God had shown them. But there were many things there. These spies went out. But notice that in the very next verse, what happens? Notwithstanding, ye would not go up, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. And ye murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, he hath brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us unto the land of the Amorites, to destroy us. Whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our heart, saying the people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. And moreover, we have seen the sons of Anakims there. I mean, wow. What is God trying to do to us? Does he not see all the problems? Does he not see what it's going to cost us? That's not what God wants for us. He must hate us if that's where he's trying to take us. Rebellion. First, inward rebellion, murmuring, murmuring. You know that one of the greatest diseases the churches have is that little thing called murmuring. People dissatisfied. Oh, so-and-so ought to be doing this, and so-and-so never does that, and just murmuring. Not coming out, you know, and doing anything, just murmuring. Well, they were murmuring in their tents. But then... We see that rebellion come outward in their actions after that. Notice down in, in verse 42, And the Lord said unto me, Say unto them, Go not up, neither fight, for I am not among you, lest ye be smitten before your enemies. So I spake unto you, and you would not hear, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord, and went presumptuously up into the hill. And the Amorites which dwelt in that mountain came out against you and chased you as bees do and destroyed you in Sarah, even unto Hormah. And ye returned and wept before the Lord. But the Lord would not hearken to your voice nor give ear unto you. So ye abode in Kadesh many days according unto the days that ye abode there. What did they do? They decided to do it their way instead of God's way. Now look. God's got their attention. God showed them where he wants them to go, what he wants them to do. But they get distracted. They get discouraged by the things of the world. They rebel against God. Instead of doing what God has specifically told them, they decide to go up there and do this their own way and take it their own way. And then when things don't go right, they come back crying to God. Oh, God. They said, God didn't pay any attention to you. You got yourself in there. If you'd listened to God, you wouldn't have been in that mess in the first place. You see, it might be time to move on. God may be trying to get your attention say, hey, your life is stalled where it is long enough. That's not where I want you to be. That's not your destination. I've got something far more for you. This is where I want you to go. But be careful. You'll get distracted. There'll be discouragements along the way. 
but you need to follow my instructions. You need to do it my way, not your own. We find here at Kadesh, notice what happened in in chapter 2 in our reading. What happened there in in verse 4 down through verse 6? We find that basically he goes through and he explains to him that, look, this all belongs to Esau. This hasn't been given to you as a possession. This is Esau's. The only thing that I want you doing here is what is absolutely necessary. You know, if you need to buy some food and you need to buy some water, you need to survive. But I don't want you to get hung up here. I don't want you to get held down here. I don't want you to have any possessions here. I don't want you to be tied down here to where I can't take you to where I want to take you to. I wonder if God can get our attention because I can assure you, God doesn't want stagnant Christians. He doesn't want, I guess as the old saying goes, a lot of pew warmers. You're still breathing. And if you're still breathing, God still has something for you to do. God still has a purpose for your life. We know that because you're still living. The truth is, is that there'll be some distractions along the way, but I want to give you this fourthly tonight in closing. I like what he does for them next. Notice he arrests their attention. He gets their attention. He tells them that there's a new direction that he wants to take them in. And then, of course, he describes to them the distractions that there are going to be some distractions and it's going to be things that will get you sidetracked if you're not careful. But then he reminds them of the resources that they've got. (laughs) Remember your resources. Notice back at Mount Sinai what he says to them. Notice in verse 29, he says to them, he says, Then I said unto you, dread not, neither be afraid. What's what's that right now? They've got their attention. They've been distracted by the giants, by all the things that's going to have to be overcome. But he says to them, dread not, neither be afraid of them. The Lord your God, which goeth before you, He shall fight for you according to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where thou hast seen how that the Lord thy God bare thee as a man doth bear his son in all the way that you went until you came into this place. Yet in this thing ye did not believe the Lord your God who went in the way before you to search out a place to pitch your tents in in fire by night to show you by what way you should go and in a cloud by day. Remember, you don't have to be afraid. There may be some what looks like giant obstacles that you can't see any way of possibly overcoming. But he's saying, remember who your God is. Remember what he's brought you through already. Look at what he's already done for you. They're reminded. Notice down in verses 39 and 40. Moreover, your little ones, which he said should be a prey, your children, which in that day had no knowledge between good and evil, they shall go in thither, and unto them will I give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn you, 
and take your journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Remember your resources. Go back to chapter 2 again. Notice what he says there in verse 7. For the Lord thy God hath blessed thee in all the works of thy hand. He knoweth thy walking through their great wilderness. These 40 years the Lord thy God hath been with thee. Thou hast lacked nothing. They're reminded of the resources that they have as a child of God. His blessings, his wisdom, his presence, his sufficiency, all those things. I'm saying without any shadow of a doubt, folks, God does not want us to get stuck in a rut, to get stuck in the mud, and to stay right where we are in our spiritual life, in our Christian life, in the life that he's got for us. For every one of us, this preacher included, it's time to move on. God's got a place for each and every one of us. Hopefully, in the year ahead, a lot of that journey is a journey that we'll travel together just as the nation of Israel was here. God has a place to take us as a church, as a body of believers. This is not our destination. This is not the end because he hasn't returned yet. There's a future for a Bethel Free Baptist Church. I don't know where God's taking us, but God will take us and he'll show us the direction. And the truth is, is that there will be some distractions there will be some discouragements, but we need to remember what our resources are. I want to give you a couple of verses on this thought in closing. Turn with me into the same ones that he's promised them here. You see, well, those promises there were made to the nation of Israel. Well, what about us? Okay, well, what about his blessings? Notice in Titus chapter 2. Notice what he says beginning in verse 11. It says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Do you believe that? Do you believe that this evening? You believe that God has redeemed you and called unto himself a people zealous of good works? I believe it. That's our resources because he's the one that saved us. He's the one that will do the work through us. We could look at so many passages of Scripture. The next thing that we see that he reminded the chosen people here, the Israelites of, was his wisdom. Notice in Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12. Notice in verse 29, 29 and 30. He says, 
And seek not ye what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. Worrying about these things that the Lord knows that you have need of. He's the one that will take care of those things. Look back at what the psalmist said in Psalm 103. Psalm 103, verse, picking up in verse 14. He says, For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone. The place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. His righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them, the Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bible says that Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. That he's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. You see, whatever the obstacle is, whatever the giant is, Jesus knows all about it. Jesus has felt it. Jesus knows it. He knows where you are. We find that he'll not leave you alone. He promised them. Well, what about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4? Doesn't he make that same promise to you today? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 to 10. He says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Wow, what a promise. How can they put you down? It's the life of Christ. That's living in you. You see, if he failed you, if he failed you even one time, he would be denying and dishonoring himself. We find that he's promised never to leave you, never to forsake you. His sufficiency is enough. Probably one of those passages that Memorized by so many Christians in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. How many of you have put that verse to memory? Most of you probably know it even if you don't know where it's at. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory 
by Christ Jesus. I don't think you have to worry about him running short. <laughs> the truth is, that's a promise that you can bank on. That's a promise that's there for you. In Hebrews chapter 13, I give you this last one. Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 5 says, let your conversation be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. If the Lord is our helper, what can man do that we need to be afraid of? You see, I'm not trying to tell you what God's will and direction is for your life. There's some things in common in this coming year that is a church that, as I've already said, the Lord will take us in a direction, hopefully together. God has a part for you in that. The church body is made up of individual Christians all being united together. Maybe as 2011 begins, is it going to be just another year? Just another year. How many of you were sitting here at the close of 2009 instead of 2010? Doesn't seem but a few shakes ago, does it? What has God accomplished in our lives this past year? You see, as your pastor, I love you. I don't want to see it wasted time. I don't want you to get hung up in a place that's not your destination. I don't want you to get so distracted by all the things that are going on around you where you are right now when God's got somewhere that he wants to take you. God's got something that he wants to do with your life. There may be only one person here tonight that God's trying to get your attention with this message. Do you realize the difference that one person can take if it's God that's got that life, what God can do through that individual? I hope there's more than one of us here that's willing to say, God, take me, use me, do what you want with me this year. But I'm saying, don't you be discouraged because everybody else around you decides to stay in the same rut that they're already in. We've got a lot of things to thank God for. We've got a lot of wonderful things that God has just wonderfully done for us as a church. I know that it may sound a little bit prideful and big-headed. I don't think you'd go anywhere and find another church like this one. Not to have the same people to love and the same people to love you. God has put us together. and We're a unique body. Where does God want to take us this year? I don't think God wants us just to waste another year treading water and not going anywhere. I don't for a moment believe this is our destination in this world. God's got us here. But we need to follow God's directions. We need to do it God's way, individually and collectively. Folks, it ought to be exciting. God does have somewhere for us to go. And the truth is, is that we don't have to fear anything 
that man can put before us. If we're going with God, if we've got him in us doing his work, what can we possibly fear from this world? It's time to move on. You know, I pray and trust and hope that in the coming year, we can see many more souls saved in this church. I trust and pray that we can have greater numbers next year than this year, not so that you or me or anybody else can say, look what we've done. But so we can all point and say, wow, look what the Lord's done. Look what God's done. I don't for a moment think that God can build a great church here because of the preacher or because of the deacons or because of any of our church leaders or because of any of you as wonderful as you are. It won't be because of us. It'll be in spite of us. But the truth is God will use all of us if we'll allow him to. What does God need to do to get your attention? To get you to realize and understand that he's got a direction for your life. That yes, there'll be some distractions. There'll be some discouragements. But you've got all the resources you need. There is nothing to be afraid of if you're going where God wants you to go. Father, we love you this evening. We thank you, the Lord, as we look at these very simple thoughts Lord, as your chosen people were, were being prepared to cross over into the promised land that you'd promised them, Lord, we don't know where that you're taking us in this coming year. Lord, I pray that you'd help us not to get stuck in a place that's not our destination. Help us not to get our attention upon the things around us that don't belong to us. It's not important because that's not what you've got for us. That all belongs to somebody else, but you've got something far better. Lord, I pray that you might take our lives and do something with them. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, not to just sit by and let the time drift by and all of it be wasted, but help it to be used wisely for you. Help us, Lord, genuinely in our hearts to seek your direction. God, where do you want me to go? And let you take us there. Of course, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.